Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Wilson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hello. Hi. You want to do some math on how far away the trade deadline is? 22 hours and 20 minutes. 40 minutes. I don't know what time it is, so minutes. I can't it's check 2 you It's right 2.20 p.m. Okay. local time here in Arizona. Trade deadline is 1 p.m. on Thursday. If you bet yet again that Jay Crowder would not be traded the next time we podcast, it cash your ticket again. We are here podcasting to talk about Matt Ishbia, but... Uh, we should start with another Matt Ishbia story, which is uh, on Isaiah Thomas, uh, not the former Suns point guard, the former Pistons point guard, the Hall of Fame point guard. Okay. Um, <laughs> this started when Chris Haynes on the TNT broadcast uh, of the Suns game against the Nets. Really good. We'll mention briefly. Really good Suns win. 9 of 11. Devin Booker's back. Uh, is not playing tomorrow against the Hawks. Back-to-back to be expected he was going to sit out one of those games. He looked pretty good, but Mikel Bridges, DeAndre, and were awesome. During that game, Chris yes. Haynes reported, and his tweet would be as follows soon thereafter. Phoenix Suns new owner Matt Ishbia intends to bring on Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas to have a prominent role in the front office. League sources tell NBA on TNT Bleacher Report. This is a very concerning thing Uh, immediately and one that was on uh, our radar for the last couple of days due to not only other people's reporting, but just the fact that Isaiah Thomas has a relationship with Matt Ishbia and he, he works for Matt Ishbia. He works at his uh, mortgage firm company. I think firm's okay to say, I don't know what firm, I don't have a firm grasp of firm, but anyway, so so loose thoughts for people like you and me had already been kind of there being like, Oh, don't do that. Um, if you don't know the background here, the short answer is that very first off, the most important part is that he was involved in a lawsuit with a Knicks executive who alleged that he sexually harassed her multiple times and that Thomas, uh, that she basically, like the whole story is crazy if you want to go read about it, but the summation is she tried to, she insinuated that she was fired because of her complaints about this. Yeah. Went to court. Jury ruled in her favor. She got 11, over $11 million. Half of that was for the sexual harassment. Half of that was for her being fired, uh, wrongful termination, that kind of thing. That was in 2007. That is when Isaiah Thomas was the president of basketball operations, GM, whatever his title was, with the Knicks. Uh, and that was the last time he worked in an NBA front office. He has done stuff with the New York Liberty since then. He was a head coach for Florida International for like a year. If you just want to Google Isaiah Thomas, that is a adventure on a Wikipedia page. If you want to give yourself 10 minutes to read it, about a life, it's... I, it was a while ago, and we don't need to run it down, but it felt like it stretched a long time. Like, maybe part of it in my brain is how badly he managed the basketball team, but the ouster of him eventually was like a saga because of the sexual assault allegations and that whole case. So, yeah, it's... it's it'll, little ways in the past but this it it was significant then and yeah the wikipedia page is extensive because of that this development got national attention obviously for numerous reasons but just from new york yeah because 
while that is the biggest part of this story by far, and another thing where New York people would react and be like, I never thought he was going to have a job, a chance at a job in the NBA again. Like, why would it, especially in Phoenix, that part we'll get to as well. But if you're not familiar, his tenure in New York was awful. I think that John Hollinger quote tweeted me and said something along the lines of like, it was one of the worst runs for a GM ever in like the modern era of the NBA with what he did. Hey, guess what, Kevin? I don't care if he's Marty McFly with the 2050 Sports Almanac and he's got a perfect record as a GM. None of that matters in this situation. What matters is, is the history with the lawsuit, with the sexual harassment, that matters anywhere in the league, to be clear, and in any situation. Like he, like in any, he's like he shouldn't be in a workplace. Beyond that, Kevin, yes, for it to happen the with the Suns, Sun. who are coming off of the Robert Sarver situation, it was just completely unbelievable that this is something that would even be considered or thought about, let alone in the process of happening. Fast forward thirty minutes, I click publish on our story on the site. Three minutes later. I hear from a spokesperson for Matt Ishbia who confirmed that Isaiah Thomas would not be joining the front office and he was not part of the of the transition. Fast forward to today, he is asked about it. Gerald Bourget, excellently worded question, asked him about Isaiah Thomas and just asked, will he be? And he said, no, not at this time. Ken Summers, another excellent question from an excellent writer, journalist, asked, You worded that a specific way. So can you just like rule out him not coming here? Because they, and and that is where uh, Ishbia did not answer the question. He went on to have this really elongated thing that you will, I'll pass the torch here to you and you can go into how exactly he answered the question. But uh, Dan Bickley described it as slippery in a uh, video thing that we did for uh, socials on Arizona sports. And it was, Part of his answer was about being transparent, but the answer this the question was a very simple one, which was, can you just shut down this guy ever working for the Suns that has a history of sexual harassment in NBA front offices? You should take that if it's dangled in front of you twice. Um, and he basically, the first thing he really said was, you might be part of the Suns front office. Kent Summers, possibly future Suns GM. We don't know. But he also said, I don't, basically, I'm paraphrasing, like, I don't know who I'm going to hire in the future. I'm open to all things. And he's expressed, not exp- he's expressed to basically everyone, every interview that I've seen, I think, that he's going to come in and listen, right? And I think his non-answer is fine in most cases. Like, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know who you have to replace. You don't know who you want to replace after you get to know the team. And I I do believe that he's going to come in and listen and all that good stuff. But the, the red flags are a little raised when it's not answering that simple question. Correct. And, and your number one, he put out four, four bullet points before he took questions, which is number one is culture and people. And that's, the other things were like winning. Um, I don't remember the other two because I don't have a photographic memory like him. But when number one's culture and people and you bring the best people in, um, that kind of takes that guy out of it. Isaiah Thomas being that guy, I think. It should. And it's unfortunate that I think our takeaways, we keep coming back out of it 
is when there's joy that you're taking over just because the owner is so bad and had such a bad culture. Yeah. It it's tainted already within what his first few minutes of his press conference today within 48 within 36 hours of, of him being officially official. uh, joining on Tuesday. I like the way you put it in terms of red flags because we have a and you know you everyone knows how I feel about this. We have a horrible tendency to coming up next. I'll tell you why Matt Ishbia wasn't the only winner of the trade comp of, of his press conference. I butchered the radio guy. <laughs> like talking about winning the press conference and introductory press conferences as a whole is pretty exhausting. And we're not really going to do much of that here. We're not going to talk about it for that much in terms of what he talked about because his actions will back up what yeah. is going on here. We should say that too. Because but yeah, go ahead. I, I just think, yeah. He left the door open for him to make mistakes, but he did say, like, I've not made any hires. There have been a bunch of names that I've seen, and he kind of insinuated, like, I'm learning how Twitter works, and last night was a good example. Your tweet about this seems like a bad idea on Isaiah Thomas got, like, a bunch of views, and people were rightfully mad and like, here we go again. We got 12 hours of being happy about this ownership change. It made the rounds through NBA Twitter. Yeah. And that, that happens to me like a couple so times a year. And I'll that, say like that taints his press conference, but he will give him the benefit of the doubt. If he never hires Isaiah Thomas, we'll be like, yeah, that's great. That's great. And then we'll see where he goes from there. But go ahead. So the Sorry. reason why I, fra- why I use that example and, and said like a couple of times a year I'll have a tweet that like kind of blows up and, and gets like national attention and stuff. Ooh, look at me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it did for, for it a to reason. Be, yeah. for, for it to be this speaks to something that Dan Bickley wrote, uh, talked about on that video and, and a, a point that I'll steal from him, which is that I, Suns fans listening, which I pretty much everyone listening to this is a fan of the Suns in some way. The fan base is in a really delicate position right now, and I'm not saying that as the person who's saying like their uh, Suns fans are reacting in the wrong way or in an irrational way or anything like that, because it has been a heck of a decade, to say the least, the ups and downs and all of this kind of stuff. But this is more than this is far less than that. I should phrase it. It's very clear cut. Get rid of the very bad person who did very bad things and set up a very bad place for people to work and bring in hopefully the very good person who is going to make it a very good place to work. Everything that we hear about UWM seems like a great place to work. It's a great story. He had 12 employees. Now he's got over 7,000. Incredibly successful. So when you just add anything to the equation in 24 hours, less than 24 hours, that could be interpreted as a red flag or a reason for the fan base to worry. It's, it's problematic. It's just, it's not good. It's, it's, it's not good at all. And again, I just think it's, there are parts of this that are complicated because Thomas works for Ishbia at UWM. They've had a relationship for a while now. It seems like we don't know the full history there exactly, but uh, Ishbia, um, uh, the statement uh, from his spokesperson and then Ishbia's own words today brought up reinforced how they're friends. So I, I get that that's a complicated thing. Yeah. But you can also just say no, because this is not and something that is going to come up, I think, for for him a lot in the next couple of years is going to be if you uh, have don't know, you should read because it's just really fun um, anyway. 
go to our site, look up uh, the Dan Gilbert story that I wrote on there about their history together and their beef together. Yeah. And some of the things that Ishbia said about uh, Gilbert or referring to Gilbert or joking with Gilbert, it included a Super Bowl ad where they were pretty much just making fun of Rocket Mortgage and calling out Dan Gilbert's Rocket Mortgage for a Super Bowl commercial, yeah. not even just a commercial, like a Super Bowl commercial. And then some of the things that he went on to say uh, in that story that are uh, from different dates, of course, this is this is a different ball game. It's a different ball game. He is an incredibly successful guy in a very difficult field to be successful in. All of these guys are have that label to them, but this is just a different animal now. There's not and, like a UW or a mortgage loan Twitter that reacts to your every move. Is that what you're saying? There might be. I don't that's know. that's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, the, there are people who are like the uh, Brianna Noble is her name, I believe, from the Detroit News, who had a lot of the articles that I linked in there. She did an excellent job of uh, following that beat and was uh, was on that beat. Sure. But there were uh, 40, 50 media members there right now. There yeah. were I'm guessing there were over a thousand Suns fans watching the live feed of an introductory press conference for an owner. Um this is a different ball game. So that that kind of there, I don't want to be the person who says like this is a lesson for Matt Ishbia, but I it's a pretty good example of, of of learning something right away in terms of just how to handle something like this specifically with the increased spotlight that is on him now. Yeah. And and this is where we can get to how he came across and just how uh, our overall like first impressions of hearing him as a speaker and my biggest takeaway and just one of the few takeaways I have to be honest I don't have many as people know and like I said earlier like the actions will will back everything up and, and we'll see from there what I'm hearing in terms of how the environment is there yeah. how much better it's getting that will be the more important part than what is said uh, during this pre- press conference but one of my few takeaways was it was fantastic to hear the amount of energy that he has and how hands-on he is. One of the things that he said is like, I'm not a meetings guy and I'm not just talking to your um, is, is subordinates, people under you. Yeah. Okay. He, he was basically saying like he will, he will talk to like subordinates, but not, he didn't phrase it like that. That, that yeah. doesn't sound very pleasing, nice. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, we're nice. That, that's a better way of putting it. Um, I, like he's not going to be just like talking to your bosses yeah, and never talking talk. to you. Like he is going to talk to you. Yeah. Like in the he weeds. Is, he said in the weeds he, once. He is going to talk to like the people working on the social team. He's going to be work, talking to some of the people working near the bottom of the sales area. Like he's going to be talking to a lot of these people in the weeds was something he used to like, like I'm going to roll my uh, uh, sleeves up, get in the dirt, that kind of thing. Just a very active involved guy and i think when you see active and involved as a fan you get nervous like yeah. oh god is he gonna like and, and it's not like that <laughs> at all he's talking about doing that is his is just how he operates anyway but he's going to be even more um in there's going to be far more intent for him to do it over the next three four months because he wants to get a feel for how everything is and, and one thing that he said on wolf and luke was that he's going to find out who is all in and who is not who is aligned and who is not so it sounds like his goal is to not only feel out the culture and what it is, but get a sense for like, okay, like who is who is with this? Like who is with the kind of winning team culture kind of thing that he has in mind specifically when it comes to um he he basically went on to sort of say like empowering people to give them the right decisions. Yeah. And if you, it sounds like he's got a lot of feeling out to do, and I think that's what people need to realize is when you come into this kind of situation, a lot of the times the owner won't even be in a situation where they want to feel it out. Maybe they'll want to feel it out, but they can't 
be they, they don't they're not capable of doing it. Like when we when Ryan McDonough wouldn't talk to like the players at all for like yeah. anything. It seemed like that was bad. He has serious people skills. It seems like, and that's a really good thing for him to have because he needs them for the next couple of months. Of the basketball items, a couple of the questions did touch on. Okay, you played basketball, and if you read um, John Fanta for Fox Sports had the tidbit about Isaiah Thomas from Rick Buecher, but also a lot of that story, I would say, go read it. Um, there are interviews with like Tom Izzo and all this stuff about, and, and Matt Ishbia's teammates from college that were like, look, this guy was a walk-on, wasn't a great athlete, but played really hard. And the thing they kind of said was like, he almost was like a coach as a, you know, as a player, where they're like, where am I supposed to be? And he could tell them. Um, if they missed something Izzo said, he could tell them. Um, so excellent recall. Basketball mind, and I think from a basketball perspective, you worry that person's going to try to meddle, right? And it's like, is he going to ask, why did Monty run that set? Or why did James? what is James Jones thinking about this player? Or worse yet, is he going to say, hey, James Jones, I watched this North Carolina game, and I like this player. You should draft him. You really need to draft him. And he did even go out and say, like, look, I am going to empower people. I know basketball, so I'm going to be interested in that stuff. But, like, I still have a company to run one. He said he's going to still live in Michigan. Kids there. He will be here a lot, he said, though. And to that point, he's like, look, James Jones has watched hours of film. I'm only watching the games like like a fan, basically. And so I think of all the things that I kind of have questioned about, is he going to be micromanaging? Is he going to be sitting in the coach's office? And like from the past owners here, like Robert Sarver would do that. Michael Bidwell sits down, sat down, not anymore, <laughs> with Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph. People, especially in this market, I don't know how other markets are, but people have bad feelings about that kind of stuff. And I'll just say, like, he might do that, but he admitted, like, I'm not here to tell people what to do at a level where well, they're not, not denying the fact that like yeah i am going to be involved yeah so is it bad that if he sits down and just watches monty and his coaching staff like do post-game wrap-up stuff i don't think it's necessarily bad um if he's telling them what to do and asking him why they're not doing it and disrupting their workflow yeah but we won't ever know that until it gets really bad if it gets really bad so i think that those two questions where he kind of answered it and admitted like I'm I'm everywhere and also when you think about it he's a business person too like the business side might take up a lot more especially as we in this moment like the basketball side seems pretty fine they're rolling they they have a system they're they're in a good spot the business side less so um for obvious reasons why his predecessor sold the team where this can where this is important to at least talk about is a story that came out of Atlanta earlier this year. Did you hear about this? The Atlanta ownership and DeJounte? Yeah. Landry per Sam Amick of The Athletic, yeah. Nick Ressler, Hawks owner Tony Ressler's son, was a chief driving force behind <laughs> the Hawks' pursuit of DeJounte Murray, to which former president of basketball operations Travis Schlenk expressed his reservations over. Schlenk thought they were giving up too much. Alas, Nick Ressler evidently had the final say as he boasts an inordinate amount of influence in the Hawks' front office. It even got to the point where some members of the front office felt like Ressler was, quote, undermining, unquote, them. These tricky power dynamics ultimately led to Schlenk's move, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
that is one of the like many reasons why this type of thing is so difficult in the moment because we're not reacting to that DeJounte trade we're like that's a lot for DeJounte Murray that's what we're saying but we're not going like oh man the owner's son must have been yeah. like all on on like we know he's a it's just so vague and do we know if Ryan McDonough or Robert Sarver decided ultimately if they were going to draft DeAndre Ayton or Luka Doncic no. I don't know will we ever know someone might know no. I don't know now, are, have we heard stories from both sides? Yeah, but they're different stories. <laughs> they're different stories. <laughs> so I, I, I end on that note in terms of talking about him. You should read that that story. I think it was Sam's story was wild about how like the Hawks just gained this traveling party of people who had not really been around. Yeah, and, and uh, again, I don't want to bring that up to like scare Suns fans yeah. or imply that that Ishbia is headed for that kind of sequence at all. It's nothing like that, but it's just. Large Ouch. organizations have all these moving pieces and roles and hangers on and mentors and all this stuff, official or not. I wanted to phrase it as how tricky this is, but it's impossible. We we can't unless we have the inside track like Sam did for that story, for example. We can't be aware of exactly who is shifting what. But the Thomas story ignited the notion that Dan Bickley wrote about, which I think a lot of us were thinking about once this happened, is like, yeah, when Sarver leaves and someone else comes in, there's going to be a lot of guys leaving and and people coming in. But you think about that and it's like, yes, Rowley resigns and all that kind of stuff, right? You think about the people who had negative reputations attached to them, but there are people with with good reputations who are solid people in there that are probably going to be let go in the offseason as well and brought in for someone else. Like, that's how this kind of situation works. And I think we're just trying our best here to we're, illustrate it to you guys without leaning one way or the other, because ultimately I, I again react how you want to, but I would not advise reacting to this in one way or the other besides the one point on Thomas, which again reinforces how um, much of a, a, a screw up that was to get, uh, have that out because this shouldn't be, it should be like, oh, yeah, he seems great. He seems energetic. That should be it. That yeah. should have been it. To be clear, we don't know whose screw up that was, whether it was actually how much thrill, how real it was. Uh, like, Chris Haynes is a good reporter. I yes. don't think that he just got bad information. I'm just going to say can, that. You can put two and two together. And uh, I will say this to your point about not overreacting. Like, we're all in this world where Elon Musk taking over Twitter was the. Like example, everyone probably knows. I Twitter think. is over party that night. Everyone's like, "Am I going to go to sleep and wake up?" And the app doesn't work. And, we and said on our podcast like a few times, like we don't know if like if, if just in case we yeah. did the just in case thing. But like Elon brought in dudes from Tesla and what's the the boring company? Um, like, you, we should stop now. You're comparing. It, no, now you're using. It. I'm we, saying we've used two very horrible examples so far, and we're going to. I'm saying people. people can like do that and bring in yeah. people from their old companies. Yeah. To at least transition them or learn or help them learn. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Yeah, it's pretty negative, I guess that example, but. I think we should say I would expect that to happen over the course of time, but don't judge it again till the actions are bad. Yeah, and, and even even when the actions come in, we're gonna have to wait for reporting. It was it was very interesting. One more thing that I'll know because I know people still listening twenty minutes in are interested in this kind of stuff, which is he a couple of times sort of referenced it. It seemed like to me. Again, this is just me. He didn't he he didn't even imply this, but it was me trying to interpret what he was talking about. It seemed like to me 
he was implying that he was learning how this whole Twitter reporting yeah. sources thing <laughs> worked. It, it seemed like too. he was kind of learning how. The, and I think we as sports fans just accept the fact that other people will blindly understand like what that world is like and what sources and reporting and confirmations for reporters and how competitive and how cutthroat and how everyone has a guy that they talk to that kind of thing. But he was speaking like someone who wasn't familiar with that and also emphasized twice, like you're not going to see it on social media. Like we're going to tell you guys when these things happen, like you're not going to hear it anywhere first, except us, which good luck with that and not in a uh, demeaning way, but just like in a challenging way. Like that's a really hard thing to do these days. The Suns, though, I say all this because the Suns are Already. probably the best team in the league when it comes to we don't hear a peep out of there. Like we heard we hear peeps from San Antonio maybe every now, but they're in that similar vein of San Antonio yeah. where nothing like if a Draymond Green kind of situation would have happened with the Suns, that would not have gotten out. It would not have. It just wouldn't have. I, I know that was just some intern or whatever, or some video guy just choosing to record that. And then that video got somewhere sold or whatever the situation was there that ultimately came to be that led to it getting out. Uh, but that that would just like never happen in their building. Even even a year or two, even five years ago, it, it just wouldn't happen. So to hear him aligned with that, I thought was interesting and, and notable. Um, but that that was one of the few like sort of takeaways that I had. I you uh, alluded to it. I opened the presser with a tax question. Just wanted to make sure it got asked about the tax bill. His willingness to talked about some interesting stuff. Short term, long term benefit. The one line that he did give that uh, should excite Suns fans is that he doesn't think about it as spending. He thinks about it as winning. So it's like, and and you're kind of, it's very Ted talk, like Ted talk kind of CEO guy stuff. But that to me says, Hey, if we can get Boyan Bogdanovich for like a, a price that James Jones really likes, but it's going to cost us $35 million, but he will just say, yeah, but James it. Jones tells him like, this is the guy, like, this is exactly what we need. We've been trying to figure out how to get this kind of player, maybe at two different positions, but we can get a guy who does all of the things as one guy. And I'm not saying Boyan is that type of guy, but if that kind of situation presents itself, it sounds like he's the type of owner who'll just be like, yeah, sure. Go is ahead. Kevin Durant, that guy, Kellen. Sorry, you're supposed to segue. Are we segueing into anything? Are we done? I don't know. Can we be done? <laughs> Is that okay? Uh, nothing new on the Kevin Durant front. Everyone seems to be waiting for the moment where he announces a trade. I mean, he or a trade request. He did it three hours before free agency started. Was that how it happened last time? Yeah. So will he do it three hours, two hours before the deadline now? Like, how does this work exactly? I'm not sure. He should get on that if he's gonna. Yeah, we'll we'll get into it tomorrow, but I have a sneaking suspicion, and this is not me reporting anything, but just my gut, is that they are not going to move a first-round pick. Uh, At all. Right, unless it's for Kevin Durant. Yeah. <laughs> or someone that is an all-NBA, all-star kind of player. I don't think they're moving any of their picks right now, which is, of course, not what they should be doing. They should be upgrading their roster right now with a pick or two and making a run at a wide-open West. But we'll talk more about that tomorrow. I, it seems like the gears are starting to churn on trade season. Most of the time, it is a flurry in the last two hours, hour and a half, hour specifically. There's an interesting three-way deal with the Lakers, Jazz, and Timberwolves that, as I tweeted, reminded me, all the old heads <laughs> listening, shout-out to you. The 2001 point guard trade bonanza. Remember when Jason Kidd and Stephon Marbury got swapped? Remember when Mike Bibby and Jason Williams got swapped? D'Angelo Russell involved. 
we saw D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers, uh, Shams only tweet, and we were like, well, that doesn't sound that good for the Lakers, considering what they what we thought they could get. And then it's it's been reported that Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt could be included in that deal as well, going to the Lakers, and that has already shifted the Lakers' title odds like dramatically. So uh, I, I don't I don't maybe buy that. Till, we'll talk more about that tomorrow, but just. Uh, so you're aware if you're listening to this and you haven't been on Twitter yet or you haven't turned on the, the notifications for Woj and Shams and, and Chris Haynes and Mark Stein and all those guys, turn them on. Turn Quick. them on because uh, we're here. Quick before we go, mm-hmm. fastest LeBron James scoring all-time leader take about last night or his career. It's just my same thing on everything. Like it can be both. Like, was it ridiculous oh. that they stopped the game with ten seconds left and they <laughs> had like a ceremony in the middle of a game, not at halftime of a game, like the middle of a game? It was funny. The angle under the basket, um, Shay like went to like go inbound. <laughs> like Shay, <laughs> Shay went to go like no. at the inbound spot, was waiting, like was about to get the ball, and the ref like snatched it from him. I was like, no, we're no, we're no, still, that we're, ball, no, 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 and we're stopping the game. <laughs> um, it can be both. It can be ridiculous that that happened. It can still be really cool. I thought it was both. I thought it was ridiculous, and I always also thought it was awesome, and I'm glad that they did it. Uh, and then I thought it was kind of fitting um, that the game unfolded the way that it did because it kind of speaks to how outside of the bubble run, how his tenure has gone there so far. Yeah. It's just like, hey, he's still LeBron James, but... Oh, poor... Save that man. I think you tweeted as far as calling the Lakers trash... Yeah, I did do that. Shout out Jalen, J-A-L-E-N, Williams Hive. He had like five steals, both, 20 points or both something. Both Williams. Both Jalen Williams. Giddy out there doing stuff. Oh, yeah, Giddy Hive. Uh, the, t- uh, one last thing on that. Yeah. Uh, the NBA is hard. The Sixers had Isaiah Joe for a while and just couldn't figure him out. And then he just goes to OKC. And it's like, that's the Isaiah Joe we expected for a while. Now, we've talked about him on here a he little bit He just shoots before. 45% from three. No big deal. And plays smart, fast, direct basketball. And it just didn't work in Philly. But then you bring him to a situation where he gets playing time immediately. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was really it was really cool. I liked how Kenrich didn't put his hand up. Respect. <laughs> uh, people are talking about the Thomas Bryant seal. Kenrich didn't even contest, which speaks to how difficult it is to guard LeBron James. Because he knows if his hand goes up, it doesn't matter. But it's also just like, yeah, go ahead. We're going to go win the game now. Just put the whatever. Go ahead. What'd Five you minute break. I just think it's really cool that it, his kids are like that old. And it makes me feel old. But that he's like just decides, I think I will score at least 36 points on this night in three less than three quarters by like 10 seconds. Uh, might be why he is the leader in the scoring because he's what 38? Whew. Ridiculous. It's, it's gonna man. be, uh, yeah. I how, think... does, how does your I don't know who does it. Luca would have to like not miss games. That would. It would have to be Luca, and then he would have to like not miss games. And and I think people are under. If you're looking at that record, the number one thing is just like durability and how long he's been around. Just, it's not even the fact that he's putting up thirty a game for fifteen straight, eighteen straight seasons or whatever. It probably is related. Like, if you're talking best athlete ever, I don't know if people would be like pushing back, but like just as a pure, like that guy has been at the top of athletic. He's on the Mount Rushmore of like in my lifetime. Yeah. I don't know who else would be before that. Tiger, but his run was like mm. like dominance, but it wasn't like as long. No offense to golf, but oh. dude couldn't walk. Sheesh, Brady. Yeah, I mean, that's up there. Yeah. But like, what do you do? You get hit occasionally? 
Yeah, you know what it I mean? would be it would be LeBron, Brady, Messi. But you're talking about like athletic, like he's like an athlete. Phelps, those are the yeah, four. Yeah, those Phelps. are the four. I feel good about that four. Okay, off the top of my head. For more Mount Rushmore athlete talk, tune in tomorrow. We promise we'll be back tomorrow. If you're looking for a specific time, I would say somewhere between one o'clock and four o'clock. I don't really know when exactly. If the Suns do a lot, closer to four o'clock. If they don't yeah. do much, closer to one o'clock. <laughs> they might do it tonight and then just do nothing tomorrow. Uh, we'll see, but expect it early, late afternoon, local time. Is that early, late afternoon? I'm the person who sleeps in and says good morning when it's 11. So Late afternoon. Okay, fair enough. We'll see you late afternoon tomorrow. Goodbye.